came to realize that what started out as a natural disaster became a man-made disaster. We cannot control the natural disaster, but what we can do is control our response. Have you ever wondered whether disasters are actually natural? If so, you're in the right place. Hello and welcome. My name is Jason von Metting. And I am Xenia Chmutina. This is Disasters Deconstructed, a podcast where we examine why disasters really happen. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, Jason. Hey, Sonia. How are you? I'm good. Well, we were talking last time, right? I think you said we've been doing this for four years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Four years in June, I think, since we launched the first episode when we were just like laughing and silly and and your poor brother had to be out oh, we remember yeah we did remember poor joseph i mean we worked hard on practicing before we launched anything didn't we i mean we're saying this in every season right how the podcast has been just so much fun and just so rewarding yeah and we've covered so much material maybe we wouldn't have had a chance to talk about otherwise and had all these discussions people bring in new ideas that stretch your thinking and just meeting awesome people that maybe we wouldn't have had a chance to ever build a relationship with outside of being podcast hosts so that's been super podcast host i like the sound of that yeah no totally and of course one of our favorite people and our friend now is back today yay darren alexander williams is joining us for this episode Welcome back to another episode of <laughs> Disaster Deconstructed. Darren, da- back. you're back with us. Reunited. <laughs> it's been so long. Yeah. United. Thank you for having me back. Thank you for Absolutely. coming. So, 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 so great to have you back. We've missed you. You've been busy though, right? I've been busy. Yes, we've mm. all been busy though. So my busy isn't special, but yeah, I'm feeling good. I'm glad we're back. I miss you all. Yeah, we're in season eight now. Remember, we, we did season four together. It's been a while. All those many months ago. Well, it's been a pretty great season so far, as we've been talking a lot with our guests about their academic work that focuses on solidarity. And today, of course, we continue this conversation with our friend and comrades, whom you all know very well, Darian. Again, we're so excited to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for anyone who's been listening for a while, you'll probably remember the season we curated with Darian, season four of the podcast, and I know it was a really popular season. It was maybe more focused on the US than other seasons, Mm. but in a really great way, and we went really deep in some different issues that are specific to geographies over here. And we've been pushing on with other seasons, other content, and Darian has been finishing his PhD in urban planning at MIT. And Darren, I guess you're joining Boston University School of Social Work as a tenure track assistant professor soon, right? Yes, I'm so close. Um, Amazing. Um, Congratulations. That's think, super exciting. How do you feel about that? I feel, I mean, it's nice having a job and it's nice being able to stay in a community that I really love. And I didn't expect to love Boston, but I really love Boston. Mm. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like I have brilliant examples of faculty in my life, including y'all, that makes me really excited to be in that role, not a student anymore. (laughs) (laughs) 
talking about work. And you know how much I admire your work and everything that you've been doing, because for me, you really are such a rare example of a researcher, of a scholar, and of an activist. And I wonder, so what and who inspire you? Yeah, I think maybe firstly and most directly, I'm inspired by people that I spend every working day with in some way, shape, or form, like Anjali Hall, who is also getting her PhD alongside me in my department, but um, and also teaching at University of Buffalo and is born and raised in Buffalo, New York, and is just really animated by the politics of our workplace and the politics of her hometown and is constantly applying her understanding of the world as she develops it to things that she's doing and working on I think otherwise I have very boring answers like I don't know I like <laughs> you know the gorilla intellectual tradition is like something I aspire to I don't know if yeah. it's attainable for me like the Walter and Patricia Rodneys of the world I think really good examples of mm. scholars who take the stakes of their work very seriously mm. and are very consistent about that and so I'm always trying to ask myself like what are the stakes and like, do I have skin in the game? Because mm. that helps me do the best work I can possibly do. Yeah. And sometimes you mess up. Sometimes you don't. But I appreciate having good examples. Is there anything in your experience that is significant for you in trying something or being involved in some sort of action that made you think, yeah, this is something I got to keep doing. And this is like valuable as something to be committed to. I guess like when I think about the events that really brought me into thinking about hazards and thinking about disaster, which was like, honestly, not that long ago, Hurricane Matthew in Eastern North Carolina in 2016, gosh, newly joining a community in North Carolina and then seeing people who have done this work for much longer time than me really plug into spaces where their skills can be utilized to materially positively impact people around them grappling with disaster and mm -hmm. in the short and immediate term and in the long term and being fortunate to be in a space being invited to a lot of these meetings public events skill sharing occasions work sessions i think that really sticks with me of witnessing and being around people who are really invested who knew from the jump that this is going to be a years-long process mm -hmm. and it takes some like publishing sure teaching yes but also getting out of a classroom and getting off of the university campus and going and doing things that are really uncomfortable repeatedly and then being critiqued and then doing it better the next time yeah so you started to talk a little bit about what that looks like for you, combining your scholarly activities with action. And I think some people might call this being a scholar activist. So why, why is it important to you? But why do you think so many people in the academy shy away from it? Is it about what we hear that academia should be like neutral and apolitical and objective? Or is it something else? Yeah, I have a very biased answer to this question, which is maybe already like a 
meta way to answer it. Because I was originally trained by sociologists there at the University of Florida. I was trained by post-sociologists in North Carolina before coming into this like weirder interdisciplinary space that I'm in now. So I feel like I've had the gift of always being around people who really reckoned with how constructed their own vision is of whatever is happening in front of them. There's no objectivity. Not that all sociologists have that orientation, but yeah, I think encountering folks who pretended that being a worker or laborer within an academic system who comes from a very particular lineage of this is what knowledge is and this is what valid knowledge isn't. I didn't really encounter that in my work until a couple of years ago, like until I, yeah, came to a institution that really emphasized STEM over a lot of other things. So I think I feel lucky with that. But the shorter answer is like, people are not trying to fund money or fund projects with money that can go towards something that be like politically read the wrong way by a donor class or a political class. Yeah. So it's just easier to build a career inoffensive to everybody and to just, you know, play it safe. You're, you're doing something very uh, objective and neutral, you know, this is a technocratic endeavor and that's how you can get very large amounts of support and not even just like grants, mm -hmm. but just institutional mm -hmm. support showing off your work. So I have some sympathy for people who think being objective and neutral <laughs> is the only way that they can sustain doing climate change research or sustain doing like their very narrow kind of like racial equity oriented kind of work. But I obviously don't think that's the best path. There's so many mm. like issues with it. Not that the path that we try to choose for ourselves is perfect or easier because it's riddled with so many issues and mistakes as well. I was reading Ruth Wilson Gilmore at the weekend, The Abolition Geography, and in her essay, Organizing for Abolition, she writes about this consistent inconsistency that scholars who organize and who are kind of activist scholars have to always tackle and deal with, because as activist scholars, we're always confronted with different barriers and boundaries and scales that academia as an institution, particularly now a very neoliberal institution, right, and somewhat prescriptive. And these are the contexts within which we work and perhaps very often disagree with because their values disagree with our values. And so how we attempt to intervene without jeopardizing our own lives and livelihoods, right, and perhaps the livelihoods of those who we care about, like early career researchers in particular, um, and I think about this a lot, and she reminded me about this, and what you've just told us reminded me about this as well. And Jason often talks about being double agents, but I think for so many people, maybe they don't even understand what it means, you know? It's not that it's not an option, it's an option for everyone, but it's easier maybe not to choose it. Yeah, sorry, just went on a tangent. Yeah, no, I don't think this is a tangent at all, this is perfect. Yeah, I think... I don't know. I feel like for me, all it took was just like a couple encounters with people who like really had to reckon with the stakes of not being neutral and being committed to doing good work. Like 
who I brought up earlier, like Walter Rodney, doing really important, critical, historical work, founding the Working People's Alliance and getting involved in like party politics, like labor in Guyana. And, you know, Rodney was assassinated, like, <laughs> killed in his 30s. Mm. It's a very extreme example, but it just puts a lot in perspective in mm. terms of getting institutional pushback for little things. I feel like the thing that's really guided me with all of my favorite things that I've worked on since the onset of the pandemic, it's like... Oh, I know I'm going to get pushed back on this, but like, what are they going to do? Send me an email? Like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's going to happen? I don't know. Maybe there's consequences career-wise, but even those just feel very mild compared to being assassinated by your political opponents. And so it's like, okay, actually everything's going to be okay. And I should probably just do work that I'm really proud of and I can stand by because otherwise I'm just going to look back on my life later and be really disappointed in myself. Yeah, I think that's really important. I wish more scholars would think about that and maybe think about the kind of the lives and, and scholarship as entangled in the same thing. I think too many separate, perhaps. And well, <laughs> that's why we are where we are. But let's chat about solidarity a little bit. You know, we've been focusing a lot and kind of we've, talk, we've been talking about various theories of solidarity and all sorts of things on this season. And there is this quote by John Berger that I really like, and he wrote that it's hell where we need solidarity. It's hell where solidarity is important, not in heaven. So for you, how do we make solidarity happen, right? How do we operationalize solidarity? How do we make people, I guess, realize that we are indeed in this hell together, right? And that solidarity is what we need to say, avert the climate breakdown or to avert the racist, misogynistic political catastrophe towards which we're all heading or in which we're already in. So what do we do? What do we do? I can only think about this in a very recent hyper-local example. So I hope it's okay that I get into some like local political drama and struggles. I think my community, multiple communities here are currently in hell with what we're grappling with, which was very recently on January 4th, the police here in Cambridge, Massachusetts killed a young man, a young Bengali Muslim man named Syed Arif Faisal. And he's a member of my mosque community. And it happened like two blocks away from where I'm sitting now at home. And I think this is one of the first times that something like this has happened right after, at least on my end, like years of pouring myself into organizing in a very structured way and really investing in infrastructures of care during times of non-disaster or during times of without urgency. And the political situation that unfolds after an extrajudicial police killing execution has been so messy because the word solidarity has come up in some of the most harmful and troubling ways. So there's many groups of us here who are connected to the situation, not just in identity, but in terms of literally knowing people intimately, going to the same mosque, going to school with this person, and actually having community who 
we've been creating political spaces to help people process what's happening, but also like healing spaces to like grieve on top of like literally just being present. It's very important for us to be present at like the funeral. And then seeing organizations who like on paper, I think I have the same values as there's very similar politics, very left aligned organizations kind of just show up for the very loud flashy things just showing up for rallies and trying to be out front at the rally and it's just like very weird and i think i'm right now in the middle of a situation of witnessing people express that they want to act in solidarity and then co-opting spaces in really weird ways that are preventing people from grieving and from taking care of each other as individuals. And so when I think about that in terms of climate breakdown or even disasters, it's making me really reflective on some of the weirdness of how people can express solidarity with communities grappling with disaster recovery. And I'm trying to be self-critical of my own practices as a researcher. This is the thing we talked about it on the show in like multiple seasons of the parachuting researcher, mm. even researchers who we know who are like our colleagues and people we love who like have really great politics, whatever that means. We agree with them a lot in political discussions. I know for myself, I haven't always been the most plugged into infrastructures of care and of linking fates in a way that is materially impactful and that doesn't just co-opt a space mm. for my own career or my own kind of research agenda or for whatever granting agency or government agency that wants mm -hmm. to put on a facade of participation. Like all these bad things can happen. And I think I'm acutely feeling it right now that even people who have had working groups on what solidarity means, who have organized around really amazing leftist ideas are still doing harm under this word. And it's a mess. I think I'm trying to be really sensitive to operationalizing solidarity in terms of of who really has been doing the work very long term mm -hmm. and how do you in a not creepy way <laughs> plug into that and support that work yeah I don't know if I have that figured out right now but I have so many counter examples now that I at least have a sense of where I want to go next I think you're absolutely right and you've given a great example of kind of cooptation of solidarity I just feel like with so many left ideas generally the cooptation of a word is a really big thing right and all of a sudden solidarity becomes like a brand right oh look we're all standing in solidarity right here's my banner to prove to you that i am in solidarity with you and i think we've seen the same happening with care right over covid particularly we've seen the same happening with mutual aid with vulnerability perhaps right and it's just kind of endless bandwagon of great ideas that then just become big words that eventually become meaningless because the value is lost. Well, it's about grappling with your ego too, right? Right, so right. Yeah. I think a lot of people are just very reactive and automatically maybe they are angry about something, right? And But respond still in a way that centers themselves in that anger, you know? Maybe that's what's driving some of these responses that are really out of step with what's needed locally, right? Yeah, 
I'm just trying to get more comfortable and more excited about the mundane. And maybe this is also an ego thing. Like in this moment, I personally feel really grateful that I am part of and supported by like a whole network and infrastructure of very well-organized people who are showing each other care, including the surviving members of a family that just lost their 20-year-old child. And that capacity to do that work that feels very impactful and meaningful in the short and long term has only arisen out of maintaining mundane relationships at times with some people like key people we've talked about political organizing we've like really thought about what we're trying to do with our respective organizations here in boston and then with many more people it's just the fact that you volunteer at the mosque bake sale every time they put out a call for volunteers and so you just know this person's face and they know yours and so they trust you you know each other like care about the same people and that is enough to be part of an infrastructure that you need to utilize to get a collective of people towards action when something really bad happens in your community i feel like the big solidarity thing that came up after 2020 is like okay you conceptually want to express that you're like in solidarity with this one group that's engaged in the struggle maybe even express international solidarity which i think is very important but also like it's cliche now like do you know your neighbors like do you know the people <laughs> on your block do you like these people do they like you that's true if you don't know these people, why are you trying to entertain this concept of how you create this global network of solidarity for this issue that's like part of your party's platform? And why don't you just get to know your fucking neighbors? So yeah, I think the last couple of years I've been like getting to know and love my neighbor. <laughs> and I'm really grateful for that now more than ever. that a lot and I think it's really relevant to people who are usually recognized as experts or recognized as outsider whether they like that or not it's hard in some ways to dismantle that and to engage in normal relationships where you break down those imbalances and power dynamics and just be a neighbor and I don't think a lot of people who work in a neoliberal institution know how to do that. But I think it comes back, you talked about linked fates, and that's key. We've done a lot of work together in recent years about vulnerability and trying to reframe that mm -hmm. to think about interdependencies, think about precarity together and how we actually can be together with people who are experiencing different layers of oppressions and organize from that space. In some of the work that we've been doing, we're trying to flip this and not just theoretically, but practically having what you said, linked fates, like that's actually hopeful. That's really the only space that we can build from and have hope in building something better. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't make you hopeful. Doesn't make you hopeful to think about <laughs> organizing from that place and like people recognizing interdependencies, shared vulnerability, 
is there potential there? I guess I'm trying to challenge myself to also be hopeful about positive things coming from that form of recognized vulnerability, but also trying to be okay with things like really not working out. The other side of vulnerability is like really just connecting with people and realizing that connection that you've invested in, in making does have the capacity to harm you. And, and sometimes that means, all right, you got to disengage and be completely out of it. And sometimes it means like you really have to develop the practice of naming that harm and then maybe being open to trying it again, <laughs> maybe less harm happening after that, or hopefully no harm. But I felt very sensitive lately to, yeah, like even the prospect of harm, of rejection, of disappointing or failing each other, even within my own communities that I sit in here and not demonizing people in that process as well, mm -hmm. because like that, that ensures that nothing productive is really going to come out of that. So it feels like a, just like a weird place of sitting with complexity where I personally don't feel like I have any like neat frameworks anymore that define the right and wrong power relationships that I should be having. And it's just like, okay, how do we all just recognize that this is just an experiment and we're all just trying to do our best. And yeah, maybe that's what gives me hope. I mean, I'm a very religious person. So when I run up against my limits, just, I just be praying and hope that I have clear and abundant reminders that the same creative force that created me created some other people that I might be struggling with in that moment. And yeah, I just try to recognize that and then pray that they recognize that in me and that we can keep doing our shit. But <laughs> yeah, I think you, you mentioned like the importance of being in relationship with people who care. So there's mutual care and establish, even if you get it wrong sometimes. And so you might not always do the right thing you might hurt each other but you're operating from at least some basis of trust right yeah and going back to the situation that's really unfolding in my community right now like maybe one example of that is and there's like people who have shown up to some spaces convene to rally around this issue of the cambridge police murder of faisal here and some of these people have an abolitionist politic, like very loudly shout, abolish the police, or even just defund the police, or do something. Something that I can agree with. At the same time, there's other very traditional leaders from the community who, on paper, we really don't have the same politic. We really don't who might have invited the police to attend some of these, like, political route mm. and speak, right? And, like, on paper, conceptually, it's like, oh, no, like, that's not... <laughs> For how I move through the world, that's not okay. But then those people, the latter people, the person who I do not have the same politics with on paper, still being open to criticism, and in one case, explicitly saying to me, like, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just trying to make the best decision possible for our community. And I didn't grow up in this context, in this country. I don't know the right thing. And so I might be making mistakes, but I'm also 
really trying to trust the voices of you younger people in the mosque. Mm. And like, that was a very vulnerable thing to just like, mm. to name. And I feel like it's very dynamic that opens up a process of like, wow, this person trusts me. They're not some like, sellout moderate liberal no like super villain who invites the cops (laughs) to certain things this is a relationship built on care and trust that has mechanisms for us to get to somewhere better together versus you know people who i do have the same politic with on paper just showing up to these loud events and like shouting over people who are crying like (laughs) and Mm -hmm. it's like a bit of sloganeering <laughs> and then that's it and then they're like not there to like really help pick people back up afterwards so yeah i'm being educated right now and like how these things come together and how to have hope i thought i knew a lot going into this and i'm still learning new things so, yeah. wow yeah that's really really amazing thank you thank you for talking to us today and i hope more people would accept that learning is an ongoing process right and that Instead of labeling and judging each other, there's always some potential that we may not necessarily know about. So thank you, Darren. As always, you know, I can listen to it for hours. I've, I've told you before. And listen, it's so a silky smooth voice. I know, voice. I know. It's the <laughs> voice. It's still the voice, right? So thank you for joining us today. And hopefully you'll come back again soon. Can I just say, I still have the capacity to be shady and very judgmental and have a lot of fun <laughs> in this process. I'm not like endlessly empathetic to everyone, you know, everyone being in a, a learning process because sometimes that shit's just annoying and I can't deal with it. And yeah, but there are different grades of shade, <laughs> I think. I just wanted to name that in case like this episode comes out and then you go on Twitter and I'm like talking shit about someone very openly <laughs> making a meme. I don't know, like, it's a process, it's a process. It's a process, I love it. Yeah, we're all shading this together. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you all for being with us today. And before you go, a few quick reminders about how you can stay connected with the podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at DisastersDecon. The podcast is available on all the major platforms. Please download, share, and most importantly, subscribe. And if you haven't already done this, we really appreciate your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. This will help us to continue making content for you. You've been listening to Disasters Deconstructed. And don't forget, disasters are not natural. See you next time. You've been listening to Ksenia, Jason, and me, Darian Alexander-Williams on Disasters Deconstructed Podcast. <laughs>